Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It's time for Brewing After Hours with Sarah Flora. Hi, I'm Sarah Flora. You may know me as Flora Brewing on Instagram and YouTube, where I dive into the technical aspects of making beer. My new podcast, Brewing After Hours, is going to take a different look at the history and stories behind beer. I'm going to bring you a story a week, as well as conversations with homebrewers and professionals in the industry. And of course, we'll be cracking some beers along the way. Welcome to Brewing After Hours. I'm Sarah Flora. On this episode, I'm sharing some of my tips for growing your own hops, and you'll also hear from hops expert, Dr. Susan Wheeler, co-founder of Hop Revolution in New Zealand. So let's get into it. I have six different varieties of hops that I'm going to plant. Um, Two of them are already growing. Four of them are still rhizomes, and rhizomes are basically just the root that grows off of a hop. Uh, It's kind of like a ginger root. Those are also rhizomes. Um, It's really fascinating because you can basically just grow an entire hop plant from a stick. It's kind of cool. I got a cascade that was already sprouting from uh, the place that I ordered them and I have a centennial that I actually kind of urban foraged uh, a while back and that guy's a couple years old but he's been living in a pot and he's so sad. And when I say he, I actually mean she because we are only using the female versions of the hops. Um, Typically, that's what you can buy unless you're trying to do an ornamental thing. But if you're trying to buy hops to make beer with them or to make tea with them or whatever, you're going to want to get female hops because they're the ones that make the cones. My Centennial is one of my favorites because I got it from one of my favorite gardens in Los Angeles. And it's the only one that survived the move from the apartment to the house. All my hops pretty much fried like no one's business last year. They actually ended up dying. So we're starting fresh. New place, new me. And pretty soon, well, maybe not this year, maybe next year because it is very late. We're planting these in June. We're going to be able to actually make some beer with these. And the one thing that I always struggle with is actually tagging which hops are where. Um, So I'm going to make an effort to do that. I think I might just write it on my wall, which sounds really trashy, but oh well. So why do we want to plant our own hops? One thing you can do when you actually have your own hops growing is make a wet hop beer. And a wet hop beer is essentially just using fresh hops. Most of the hops that you buy, unless you're like super lucky and live in Yakima or whatever, they're all going to be dried and kilned to some degree or pelletized and whatnot. So basically you are able to use the freshest version of the hop and you get a lot of like grassiness from the fresh hops. It's it's truly a spectacular flavor that you can get pretty much only from using them fresh. And I've never really made a good one fresh. So I'm honestly hoping I get at least some cones this year, but we will see. Some other things you can do with hops are make hop tea. It's really relaxing. It's kind of like a chamomile. Uh, Hops are basically a sedative, um, which if you drink a really heavy IPA, you might know uh, they always make me fall asleep. Somehow the hop water does not make me tired. I don't know. It's probably mixed with the alcohol. Alcohol is a depressant. Hops are sedative, you know. People are doing 
new stuff with hops every day. So having your own stash is always fun. And it's going to be really exciting to be able to try six different varieties fresh. So let's get to it. Here is me treating the dirt. So today I'm going to attempt to get my hops in the ground. I had not intended to put them right behind me because there is a rock wall there that I'm going to have to disassemble. But when you go to Home Depot and they don't have anything you need to build a raised bed, um, you kind of got to make do. So we are going to plant it in this raised bed that is falling over and maybe build out around it later. This is where we wanted the raised bed to be, and this is our mock-up of our raised bed. But there was no all-thread to actually drill into the concrete. So it would have just fallen over like this one's doing. Because no one put any rebar in when they decided to build a cinder block wall. Anyway, we're going to make do. So not only is this raised bed falling over because there's no supports, this rock wall was basically not attached to the building in any way. It was just concreted together, and I guess they hoped no one did what I did just now. So I don't know what was in this bed before, but there is approximately a thousand cubic yards of just straight up roots. It could have been an orange tree or something. It was definitely a tree. There's some stumps in there. Um, the super fun part about this was that um, towards the end of the bed, I started finding plastic bags and I was like super concerned I was going to find a dead body. Fortunately, no one buried their dead back here. This building was apparently yellow before and it's just disgusting, but Home Depot actually does a really good job at matching paint. So you can hardly tell anymore that this was yellow and it was painted a million years after. So one thing you always have to have when you are growing hops is something to hold them up. So what I'm going to do is attach some eye hooks to my beams up there. I got some tent stakes. And I've got some jute twine. So the hops stick really well to this. The hops are just inherently sticky. They just kind of stick to anything. They've got little fibers on them. And uh, yeah, they can uh, like just kind of clasp onto your clothes and whatnot. Um, so I'm just gonna run a zigzag-like pattern um, from each hop. I have six hops I'm gonna put in. So I'm going to throw up seven. I'm gonna throw up seven eye hooks, just why not? and run the twine. And also I'm pre-drilling the holes so that I don't split my beams. So the eye hooks work really well, but I don't know if I would use the tent stakes again. They kind of pull up, but that just might be operator error. As predicted, the one thing I forgot at Home Depot was tags. So I'm gonna figure it out. This is kind of what the saplings come as. Um, this has been growing on my kitchen counter for way too long now and I just keep giving it more water. I'm gonna plant the two hops that I actually have leaves on closer to where it's shaded because it is so hot in LA. So like this, it's 93 degrees today and that's like as cool as it's gonna get. And I was hoping it was actually gonna be cloudy but it doesn't look like it. And the thing about planting rhizomes is 
you want to plant them sprout up and horizontal. And the other thing is you want to plant them ground level. So we're gonna just kind of move away some dirt, throw them on, and then throw some potting mix on top. And I don't know why they like that. That's just what I read on the internet. So let's do it. I probably screwed it up last time, honestly. Okay, so I'm just going to each bottom of the triangle gets a hop. And we're gonna try to um, keep track of what's what. So I've got Chinook, Comet, Fugle, and Tahoma, and uh, this guy's Cascade, because I love Cascade. What I was saying about the Tahoma is I had two rhizomes in there because they're standard size. These are all jumbo, they say jumbo on them. You're going to want to basically build a little mound for your hops. They like to be at ground level. I don't know why, that's what I read on the internet. When they get about six inches is when you're supposed to start training them. Um, for your first year, you're not supposed to really trim them um, until like they get really high and then you can trim the bottom leaves to prevent any like mildew, etc. There's um, diseases that can live in the soil that if the leaves on the bottom are touching the soil, um, they, it can pass along to the plant. So you don't want that, obviously. One of my tips that I use for everything in my garden and not to brag, but I'm getting pretty good at gardening. Um, neem oil. Uh, neem oil is a insecticidal soap, and uh, it, it helps with spider mites, powdery mildew, pretty much anything. As long as I usually spray my garden about once a week, just to pre preventatively. And I, you know, the same kind of sprayer that I use for my sanitizer, I use that on my plants and um, always spray at night because. It is oily, so if the sun hits it, I've actually burned some of my tomatoes um, spraying. Well, I just used too high of a concentration because I was the, at the end of my sprayer. You know, be careful of that, but it's kind of a miracle. It's amazing, and it's all uh, certified organic. It literally comes off of a tree. You can spray your tomatoes, go walk, rinse them off, and then eat them, and you're going to be fine. I do pretty much everything organically in my garden just because I'm honestly just afraid of chemicals. The bigger rhizomes, I'm digging a little deeper just because they've got a ton of stiff going on. All right, last rhizome, and it is a fugal. I basically just bought whatever hops they had in the jumbo um, because I like to try new things. And what better way to try new things than out of necessity when you have to harvest your hops? We're gonna water after these are all planted because uh, hops do like to be pretty moist, but don't, don't overwater them. But I never know what that line is, you know? Just kind of deal with it as we go. All right, and last but not least, our cascade. This guy's gonna be super easy because you can just drop them in the hole. So once this guy comes out of its shock, which is kind of inevitable, I'm gonna trim the bottom leaves once it gets a little bigger. Until then, I'm just gonna neem oil it on a regular basis. All right, so since this guy is about six inches, we get to train it up and they spiral clockwise. They're like super sticky when they're this little, but they're also very delicate, which makes for a terrible combination. <laughs> now we just gotta soak the crap out of these. All right, I'll keep you guys updated on the progress of these hops on my Instagram, but that's it for planting. Um, I hope you already have your hops in the ground, and if not, 
it's not too late. They can still grow roots even if they don't give you cones because hops, I mean, even on a commercial level, they keep hops around for 10 years. So you'll have them every year. hear from Dr. Susan Wheeler, a plant scientist who co-founded Hop Revolution with her husband, Carrie Skelton. Hop Revolution is on a mission to supply New Zealand-grown hops directly to local and international craft brewers. Hi, Susan. Welcome to the show. I appreciate you taking the time to chat. I know it's already the next day and mid-afternoon for you. Before we get into all things hops, it would be great to hear more about your background as a plant scientist and how it led to you getting into the beer industry. Thanks, Tara. It's really nice to chat with you. Um, Yeah, so my background is I'm a plant scientist. Um, I started many, many years ago at a biotech company. So that was my first job out of university. And after a while, I decided to go back and do some more study. So I actually moved um, to Australia and I did a PhD in viticulture research. And uh, that was, you know, of interest to me because obviously grapes are one of the cool plants you can study um, from from a purely scientific point of view, but obviously from a drinking point of view too. And I did probably about 10 years in the industry and then moved my family back to New Zealand and it's probably quite sacrilegious to say as a New Zealander, but I find Sauvignon Blanc fairly boring. Um, and from a scientific point of view, it's not very interesting. So I started reaching out and trying to think um, what else I could turn my skills to. And honestly, it was a pretty easy um, move from grapes into hops. So I started doing some research now probably oh, a good eight, nearly nine years ago. And from that, it became a research project that then uh, turned into this actual pretty large commercial endeavor, which is what Hop Revolution is today. Yeah, that's fascinating. It's uh, it's kind of funny to see you go from wine to beer out of my own curiosity. Is there a lot similar in grapes and hops or are they like completely different species? <laughs> yeah, so I mean... From a growing perspective and everything else, completely different. But I guess one of the big things that I find really interesting is in both cases, I sort of feel like I'm I'm just the grower. So, you know, in, in the great world, we used to have these great arguments that, you know, good wine was either, you know, made by the, the people growing the grapes or the winemakers would try and claim that it's, you know, they could turn bad grapes into fabulous wine. And what I am really intrigued about in the hop world is um, I can give my hops to 10 different brewers and they will produce 10 different beers with them. And so that's what I really love. It's almost like hops, I'm just a provider and an ingredient to, to you brewers and, and what you do with it and how you put your own spin on it. That's really fascinating. Yeah, I find hops are so versatile and like, I mean, malt is also very versatile and you can do so many things with like the same ingredients. And I think that's why people are always like blown away that beer is made from four ingredients typically. And it's just different combinations of different kinds. And it always turns out different no matter what. And we've got so many varieties. And all those layers of complexity, like when you hop, how you hop, what yeast you use, all of that stuff, it's it, it to me, it's 
um, it's more complex than, than grapes, and I'm only saying that now, obviously, because I'm in the hot world. But, you know, I, I never thought that you could derive quite so many different wines from, from grapes grown on the same vineyard. Um, so how does growing hops in New Zealand compare to other regions, like your climate, soil, anything you run into that we might not in the U.S. or in Europe? Yeah, well, obviously, the biggest difference here is just the scale of our industry. So, um, you know, we're a, a lot, lot smaller than obviously both the American and the European and in most cases, individual countries, even within Europe. So currently, there's probably around 2000 acres of hops grown in New Zealand. Um, and that's really increased dramatically over about the last three or four years. So it's probably almost doubled in that time. But still compare that to, you know, the size of a large Yakima hop farm, and that would be one farm. Uh, the geography in New Zealand where all our farms currently are is there's lots of little small valleys, and it means that there's quite a big difference in farm to farm. So where we grow, for example, we're actually the earliest farm to probably start picking in New Zealand which is hard because it means I can't watch what my guys on other farms are doing and see if we're making the right picking decisions. Um, but we, there's probably almost two weeks between our farm and some of the other farms, which across, you know, a small picking window of about six weeks is quite significant. Uh, we are pretty lucky here in New Zealand, so we don't deal with a lot of the hot uh, diseases that places like America and Europe suffer from. So we don't have any of the powdery mildews or downy mildews or black spots. So it does mean that we can farm um, pretty low input with sprays, um, pesticides. We can use biological controls for some of our insects. Um, so I suppose the flip side would be that makes our farming, you would say, easier to manage. Um, but again, you know, it, 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 it's an industry here in New Zealand that's going through a bit of a resurgence, um, thanks to, you know, you craft brewers overseas showing interest in our varieties. So there's a lot of stuff we're doing at the moment, just getting, getting you know, better practices, you know, building new equipment and stuff like that. Yeah, I um, keep seeing New Zealand hops come up. And I think that since I started brewing, it's just exploded everyone wants to be using New Zealand hops and I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong but Matueka was always my favorite when I started and uh man I went through years and I was like this is going in every single beer I love it it's delicious that's what I like to hear as a hop girl I think that's perfect yeah we're we're pretty lucky in New Zealand so um we had a an a couple of amazing plant breeders who uh, created almost all the New Zealand varieties. Um, and, and what was really interesting is, you know, when you look back at a variety like Nelson, that was bred, you know, probably started its breeding journey about 30 years ago. And beers that were being drunk 30 years ago, on the whole, very different to beers being drunk now. So um, the fact that that variety in Motueka and Rewaka um, are still highly desirable by brewers. And, and I guess almost I feel like they're, they're made for a lot of beer styles that, you know, I love drinking um, as a hop farmer. Obviously, the more hops, the better in my view. So, uh, yeah, we're pretty, we're pretty fortunate to be able to have, you know, 
the the demand there um, from brewers across the world. And you know, the funny thing to me is we're getting um, our hops into breweries in Europe. So you know, when when you're getting a Polish brewer uh, requesting to use New Zealand hops, it's pretty exciting because they obviously grow and have grown you know hops for their own industry for hundreds of years. Yeah, it's it's such an international uh, community. It's so interesting. And I have a lot of listeners who are actually international. And it's always so surprising to me, like, how universal beer can be. And I love that too. I mean, you know, but, you know, especially obviously in the last year, we've been a pretty much, you know, stuck here on our island uh, down the bottom of the world. And yet, it's been remarkably easy interacting with brewers and you know new customers and and existing ones and doing collabs and you know living vicariously through through what they're doing in their breweries um and and that and that's in a multitude of countries around the world so I do think that brewing is a pretty interesting industry where you can connect globally uh with like-minded people um really easily yeah, that's why I love it. The community is why I'm in beer. It is, just brings warmth to my heart. I love it. <laughs> so I read that many of your hops you grow are actually sold in the U.S. and um, that your first harvest you had pelletized in Idaho. So I'm curious, how do you ship hops so far and maintain the freshness before they're pelletized? Yeah, so that was, that was you know, you can imagine a fairly big logistical challenge. Um, we, didn't, we don't have our own pelletizer here in New Zealand. It's a pretty, you know, for the scale of what we need, it's a huge amount of capital. And uh, we were pretty lucky through years of visiting, you know, guys in the States. You know, we, we connected with Mill 95 in Idaho. So what we did is, you know, we harvested our hops. We had our bales, you know, um, on the ground. Within a matter of hours, those were shipped to a cool store and they were kept there for about seven days to allow the whole bale to come down to, you know, two, three degrees Celsius. Then they were shipped up in refrigerated containers all the way to Seattle. Then from Seattle, they were trucked again in the refrigerated containers. Um, so we actually maintained an entire cool chain from our farm to the mill, which... Um, was pretty impressive. We had data loggers in our, our containers so we could see that the temperature, you know, wasn't fluctuating and stuff like that. And it was uh, really impressive to see the quality of the hops, you know, when I finally air freighted pellets back from the States because I couldn't go in and do that myself. And um, they were amazing. So for us, it was a, a good decision to partner up with you know, some experts in the States um, in our first year of harvest. That's fascinating. And I know people are always like, oh, hops are expensive, but they don't take into consideration you're harvesting once a year. You have to maintain these crops the entire year. And then you have to keep everything perfectly fresh for them to make your beer good. So it completely makes sense when you think about it in those terms. Yeah, and that's what I, you know, really love with brewers, the ones that we sort of worked um, with and sort of when we've explained how how we sort of, you know, are trying to maintain quality and, you know, what that means for the pricing. And, you know, we're certainly not the cheapest hops on the market, but we're really finding that the brewers, you know, 
because it's such a point of difference to them and what the beers that they make, then, you know, if we can deliver what we say and, you know, touch wood to this point, we're, we're doing an amazing job, um, they're prepared to pay for it. And, you know, again, you know, I hate talking about the whole COVID thing, but, you know, in, in the last year where things have been so unpredictable for brewers, um, you know, they still bought our hops, they signed new contracts, and they made amazing beers. So, you know, it, it speaks volumes of, of the people that we work with. Yeah, that's, it's just so inspiring to see how everyone's handling COVID and how a lot of breweries have come together to support each other. And, you know, it's just back to the community aspect again. It's just lovely. Yeah, it totally is. So has the demand for New Zealand hop varieties grown since you began Hop Revolution? I know you just said that you basically increased the acreage by double because like when I was starting, I vaguely heard of New Zealand hops, but then I got super into them. And now I know everyone's super into them and all the new varieties coming out of New Zealand. So can you just share kind of how it grew? Yeah, well, the funny thing is, you know, I originally wanted to start growing hops just for some mates here in New Zealand who were brewers. And and they had trouble sourcing, you know, enough New Zealand varieties um, for their own use. But it led me to start talking to brewers overseas and, you know, I just heard over and over again that there was this unmet demand and they would use more if they could get more and all of that. And and that's really what led it from changing from, you know, me just doing it out of interest as a scientist to start going, well, you know, maybe we could do this on a bigger scale and, you know, start building farms and, and, and drawing investment. And I think if anything, that demand by brewers maybe I'm just talking to more or you know because there are more hops out there that more beers are being made with them um but it it seems like it's still definitely ramping up and and you know we need to be planting even more and and growing more yeah what are some of the hop varieties you're growing now and uh expecting to produce this year and anything coming down the pipeline that we should all be looking out for well so you know, you can't be a hop grower in New Zealand and not obviously focus on Nelson. Um, you know, so pretty much half our farms um, are, are Nelson. Uh, we then, you know, follow that closely with Motueka. So, again, your favourite, Sarah. Hopefully we can get some to your hands. Uh, then Rewaka, which is the bane of my existence and yet the one that most brewers, you know, after Nelson, it's the most requested. Uh we do have a variety that Hot Revolution is the only grower of, and it's called Pacific Sunrise. And this was released last year. And again, it was one of those things with sort of, you know, with COVID and having to change plans. I um, knew very little about how it was going to perform in, in brewing. And so I had planned, you know, we'd come to the States, do lots of beers and all of that. And instead, I basically had to send this hop out blind um, and get get some get some friends in the states to basically brew with it and, and tell me um, how it's performing and all of that. So that's really exciting, and, and the the feedback that we've had from what was released last year has been amazing. And so you know we're we're going with more plantings of that. Uh, we will be producing next year uh, the newer varieties, which are probably only just starting to get heard about, which is the Waiiti, Waimea, Kohatu and Motori. So that's a pretty big portfolio for a farm um, of our size. So, yeah, hopefully 
Um, we can get some of these other ones to start, you know, getting the hype that, you know, Nelson and Motoeka have. Yeah, I've heard about a couple, I think, that you're planting next year. Like, I've heard of Waimea, um, but I don't even think I've, like, I, I'm pretty sure I haven't tried any yet. Well, I know I haven't brewed it with any, but I have, like, bins of hops <laughs> that I need to get to. I'm getting back into the brewing swing of things, so... I'm very excited. I need to do some like New Zealand pale ales and stuff. Exactly. And I mean, that's what I, I'm, I'm doing this year as well, Sarah. So I'm in no shape manner a, a brewer, but I'm doing lots of smashes myself so I can um, start figuring out, you know, our different blocks, you know, what the Nelson's like between, you know, different areas of the farm, you know, are we getting any different flavours? So um, I won't be putting them in front of any brewers but we'll be having in-house tastings and seeing if we can we can figure that out yeah I love doing a smash because it's like the best way to figure out exactly what a hop tastes like it's so great I just did one with the pink boots blend from Yakima Chief and it was delightful so I'm it's like my go-to thing now I told my husband I'm just gonna like use up all the hops just by making smashes. Well, I'll come to you with some pointers with my brewing. Simple, simple is my pointer. Uh, you talked about making some beers with your new hops. Um, can you talk about a few breweries that have used your hops in their recipes that you felt produced beers that really shined a light on how best to use them and what each variety is good in? Yeah, I'm... Um, Unfortunately, obviously, I haven't been able to taste a lot of my beers um, that my brewers made over the last year um, because it's prohibitively expensive to send beer to New Zealand. Um, but living vicariously through them and stuff like that, um, Hot Butcher made some insanely good beers with our Rewalker in particular. So they were massive fans of it. Um, they were the first off the blocks to basically pick up their boxes the day they came off the palletization line, um, made a, a fantastic beer called Rewalker Mania. Um, and that seemed like that was um, hugely successful. Um, the guys up at Vitamin C, Dino, so he did a single hopped uh, Pacific Sunrise beer, which was one of the first beers where I had, you know, a brewer with, amazing you know sensory skills giving me feedback um so he did that again blind you know made up his own recipe and uh was super happy with it um but but I think most of ours they tend to go into the guys do you know a Nelson Motueka you know mashup um again we've been super lucky getting our stuff into places like Europe so we've had some brewers um Again, so the guys I mentioned before in Poland, there was a brewery that did a Nelson Motueka New England IPA. Um, and then, yeah, we've got um, some cool collabs with guys in the UK now. So, again, we've got some stuff up there and they're just starting to use our Nelson and our Motueka. So it's, it's pretty cool seeing what they each do and, and, and then the feedback about what they do or they don't like and We've been uh, just doing some of our lot selections with brewers overseas. So, again, sending out the same lots to different brewers and hearing back, you know, what they like and one will love this lot and think it's amazing and another one won't like it. So, you know, again, I'd love to taste some of those beers. Yeah. Um, it just occurred to me, you guys have a different season than we do. 
So <laughs> we, we, our hops are harvested August, September. What's your season? So we start at the very end of uh, Feb, so about the last week of Feb, and then we were all done and dusted um, before April. So, um, yeah, this is probably the most relaxed you'll see me, sort of, you know, we, we, we had the craziness of harvest, and then um, here we sort of, we all had a couple of weeks holiday, and we've just had school holidays, so my kids been home, and then we're just, you know, gearing up to start all the, the, the winter prep and some more plantings and more developments. So, yeah, our, our hops from this current season um, are actually, most of them are winging their way up to the States now on on, on boats and will get pelletized probably in about four to six weeks' time. Amazing. So they're coming out right now. <laughs> this is awesome. So they should, hopefully they should be in broad hands around July. I mean, obviously not just COVID, but, you know, when you have, you know, major shipping delays around the world, all of that stuff is throwing the odd curveball. Um, but, yeah, no, it ties in nicely with, you know, you guys get our hops, you know, pretty darn fresh for all your summer beers and that, which I think, you know, obviously is a, a good way of highlighting them. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah, my hops just started popping back up. So <laughs> I've got like a little hop plant and I have some more on my way. <laughs> there you go. You won't need me anymore then. <laughs> oh, I'm going to need your advice. Trust me. We're going to get into that. Um, so speaking of growing my own hops, um, I'm in Los Angeles. It is hot here. I, I always run into this problem around August, right before harvest, it gets to be like 110 degrees, um, which I don't know what is in metric, but it's like incredibly hot. (laughs) Um, so everything fries. Um, but do you have some uh, growing hop tips for all of us homebrewers who are growing our own hops and have no idea what we're doing? <laughs> to be fair, Sarah, I didn't have any idea what I was doing at the beginning either. Um, hops are like weeds. Once they get going and established and all of that, I think it's actually pretty hard to kill them. Um, the biggest problem I sort of see with home growers is often, you know, have you got them in the ground or have you got them in a pot? scenario I had them in the pot but I just moved to a house where I'm going to put them in the ground and I think that was my biggest problem so that's it when when we sort of dig up hot plants in our field like they go down you know sometimes up to like six foot so that's how much the the rhizomes like to grow so you can imagine if you've got one plant in the pot you're going to quickly deplete you know all your nutrients um your soil water all of that so I can imagine in LA trying to get these plants to drink enough water, you know, at harvest, because that's when they've got the most vegetative material on them, is tough. I also know, obviously, and you would know too, that hops are quite day-length dependent. So the closer you go to the equator, um, the less well they perform. So that's why when you look at the states, obviously, you know, Yakima and Oregon and Idaho, you know, you get a big switch in daylight hours when you switch from long days to short days. That increases you. Oh, yeah. I have, I go to Washington all the time and I went to heart hop harvest a couple of years ago. And in the summer, the days there are like 12 hours of daylight. It is, no, way more. 
way more. It's like 5 a.m. to like 11 p.m. is daylight. Yeah, you get six hours a night. It's crazy. Your like whole rhythm is thrown off, but I can imagine that hops probably love that. Yeah, well, that's what helps initiate their flowering. So, you know, that's why after the longest day, doesn't matter if it's in the northern hemisphere or in the southern, that's what basically tells the plant to start sending out their sidearms and to start flowering. So, again, where you being in LA, that might be a bit of a problem too for you. Um, but, yeah, get them in the ground, you know, get lots of water on them. They love heaps of nitrogen while they're growing early in the season. But when they start flowering, you want to increase the potassium um, and the phosphorus to help those cones form. And, yeah, I reckon, I reckon you can do it. Yeah, I'm really excited. I've been wanting to get them into the ground for so long, but I was in a second floor apartment before and I had like blacktop surrounding and finally got a spot. We're building raised beds um, like ne- next weekend. <laughs> We're going to buy lumber to build raised beds. So <laughs> hopefully it works out awesome. this year. <laughs> That'll, I'm sure it'll be much more successful. Yeah. yeah. So what does the future hold for Hop Revolution and where can people keep up with what you're doing? So Hop Revolution, we're um, finishing our second farm development. So we've got to build another whole harvest facility, uh, you know, know, all of that before harvest next year. So before February next year. Um, And then we've got a couple of other farms lined up, um, which will develop probably over the next year or two after that. So we want to grow you know, substantially from from where we are now. So we're sort of sitting around, I always have to quickly do the hectares to acres in my head. So we're sitting around probably about the, the 350 to 400 acres currently, and we hope to double that probably in the next two years. Um, and we've also got trials of growing um, our varieties elsewhere in New Zealand. So we want to try and see if we can get flavour differences from, you know, our Nelson seven grown in Nelson um, to see whether it's like wine and we can just start getting some other flavour profiles from there. But uh, Hot Revolution, you can follow us on, you know, the social media. Um, we've got an amazing um, person who works with us who does all our Instagram and Facebooks, uh, and she's uh, amazing at telling our stories. So please do. You can see, you know, some of our brewers that we work with. You can meet some of the people who work on our farms, see what's happening on the farm, and um, reach out to us um, in that way. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it and hope to one day come visit New Zealand, probably in the far future. Thanks for listening to Brewing After Hours on the Believe Podcast Network. Find the show and lots of other great shows at Believe.com. If you're digging the show, please subscribe and rate the show on your preferred streaming platform. A special thank you to Honus Honus, the lyrical genius behind my favorite band, Man Man, who created the song you hear at the beginning of my podcast. Beer is like sunshine for the belly. 
Check the band's new album and more at manmanbands.com and at manmanbandsband on Instagram. If you're looking for some homebrewing tips, make sure to follow me on Instagram at flora underscore brewing or subscribe to Flora Brewing on YouTube. For ad-free brewing tutorials and reviews, plus more one-on-one experience, become a Patreon member. It's just Patreon backslash Flora Brewing. Now, I really need a drink. I'll catch up with you all next week. Thanks again for listening and a friendly reminder to support your local craft brewery. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only, not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.